Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how are we doing on this Sunday? Doing great. Pretty great sports weekend, Carson. Pretty great sports weekend uh, that started on a Friday night. Friday was unique. It was fun. And uh, glad it turned out the way it did. So good weekend. How are things in the in the Cunningham household? Oh, they're great. I uh, had my mom and dad over on Friday night expecting to just, you know, kind of ignore the game in the second half thinking oh she would be down big but uh my dad and mom were uh, my good luck charms so it was, a, it was a fun night on friday and uh my wife's an ou alum so we had fun watching the ou game as well but um the kitchen sink colby i called for the kitchen sink we got the kitchen sink from casey dunn and mike gundy and company i have to give credit <laughs> where credit is due i'm not going to talk about the second half yet and the red zone struggles this is everything I've been asking for. I said, you're coming off a bye week. It is time to throw the kitchen sink at Kansas State. You can't be running five-yard out routes 80 yards down the field the whole time, Dinkin and Duncan. You have to make the defense work. You have to do tons of motion, tons of eye candy, Colby. Things you and I have talked about for seemingly three, four years on this podcast. OSU threw the kitchen sink at Kansas State, and it worked. They won against Kansas State. I'm, I'm still surprised they did it, but uh, Colby, they pretty much controlled this game throughout. It got got tight late, but they did throw the kitchen sink at them. What, what were your thoughts on sitting down and, and watching the game unfold? Yeah, I told you that I didn't know if Oklahoma State had a kitchen sink to throw, um, and then Oklahoma State came out, and what I noticed early was movement, so much pre-snap movement for Oklahoma State, so much more than we've seen at any other point, it feels like, in, in recent memory. Uh, I mean, Presley's going sideways back to forth. They've got Johnson, the tight end. He's going sideways back and forth. we got just tons of pre-snap motion, play after play after play, uh, and all game, really, they used it. Just motion, motion, motion constantly uh, and ran some creative things out of it. You know, there was another play that didn't even work, but it was creative, and I liked it. It was coming down toward the west end zone. They, they faked the give to Ollie, or maybe they even gave it to Ollie, and then he tossed it to Brennan, and the defense was there and had it covered up. But they were just – they were doing different things offensively that we haven't seen. And, yes, they struggled to get into the end zone, but they did enough to go win the game uh, against a, a Kansas State team and Will Howard that just really, really struggled uh, on Friday night. And then we'll give all the, the kudos to the defense later. But, um, yeah, offensively, I just – that's what we've been asking for, right? And and I just I don't know where it's been. Um, and and I don't even want to get bogged down with where it's been. I'm glad that it showed up on Friday night. I I don't know what it means uh, about how we evaluate September now that we've seen what this team's upside is, and I don't know what it means going forward for Oklahoma State. Uh, but I know it was a fun Friday night in Boone Pickens Stadium, and everybody gets to enjoy this one for a while. Yeah, and it just, to me, Colby, it looked like the team that you and I, when we sat down to pick game by game throughout the season, this is who I envisioned the offense being with Alan Bowman at quarterback and certainly with Ollie Gordon at running back. And all the motion you, you bring up, that makes things easier for an Alan Bowman. That makes things easier for Ollie Gordon to find running lanes when, and I think that's kind of what got them to trouble in the red zone, Colby, is there was no movement. They know what's coming, and they got 
not only stopped, but pushed back so many times. But I think the success they had in the first half was a byproduct of that. And I'm not going to get on here and just drone on and on about how Alan Bowman should have been playing this whole time, like I've been saying, and that certainly Ollie Gordon should be RB1 and getting a majority of the carries. Like that, that you can't take that back. It is what it is at this point, Colby. They they screwed up. I think Mike Gundy was very overconfident uh, with the non-conference portion, rotating quarterbacks, rotating running backs. But it's clear they've now found their identity. They've they've wiped the slate clean with that. And you see the result here. I mean, Ollie Gordon had 19 carries through the first three games of the year. He's had 39 carries the past two games, which includes 21 rushes for 136 yards and a touchdown against Kansas State. He has transformed the offense by being the number one running back. And I, I think what we really saw, Colby, was his athleticism. You know, I had uh, a guy tweet me, Asa Man Manship tweeted me a side by side shot of Ollie Gordon standing next to Alan Bowman. And he laughed and said, Bowman's listed at 6'4 and Ollie Gordon's listed at 6'1. And in this picture, Colby, they're like practically the same exact height. So for a guy of Gordon's size to be able to use the speed he had, like when he gets loose, Colby, like he can break one for a touchdown seemingly every time he gets daylight. And you just saw the full arsenal of what he's capable. I thought he showed some great vision on some of those zone blocking schemes. He Sometimes there wasn't a lane and he would bounce it to the proper side of the offensive line to find a lane. I just thought Ollie Gordon Colby was sensational. It's what we've been asking for. And I think, you know, he, he really proved himself against a really, really good Kansas state defense. Here's what I want to know is did the stiff arm look as nasty on TV as it looked in person? Because when he stiff armed the K state defensive back into the turf on the big run up the left sideline, <laughs> he stayed in bounds, spun off another guy. Did that stiff arm look as 10 out of 10, just mean on TV as it did in the stadium? It was not quite Derrick Henry, but it was of the Derrick Henry family. Yes, it, it well, did look like that on TV. And because of the angle that we had sitting in the West End Zone where he's kind of running away from us up that left sideline, we had such a clear view of this defender coming to get him, and I was like, oh, he's fixing to put him in the dirt. And sure enough, just palm of the hand right to the forehead, down he goes, uh, and then Ollie made about three more guys miss on that run and and yeah we sat around for three weeks like what can they do to run the ball what can they do to run the ball they've got to find a way to run the ball I don't know just turn around and hand it to zero see what he does <laughs> see what happens from there uh seems to be working out pretty well so far 121 yards against Iowa State 136 against Kansas State this is after Oklahoma State just absolutely could not run the ball at all in the non-conference uh and now they've got RB1 they, they finally figured out what the rest of us have been screaming for two years. You've got RB1. He wears number zero. Give him the football. Uh, and they did Friday night, and, and he could have had 10 more carries as far as I'm concerned because um, he is just so, so electric whenever he gets the ball, turns the corner, uh, and he's hard to bring down, too, in space. So uh, I love me Smalley Gordon. I, I like the combination of Bowman at quarterback. You know, he had the two picks last week, but again, one of them, weird situation, two receivers running into each other. The other one's late in the game whenever you're coming down uh, to, to try to win it. I think the reason Bowman's out there, he's the veteran. You can trust him to take care of the football, and that's what he did Friday night. He didn't turn it over. Will Howard's over there just dealing him out like, Oprah, you get a football, you get a football. Uh, and Alan Bowman took care of the ball. Ollie Gordon did what he needed to do, and the offense looked pretty good until they got down into the red zone. But uh, – you, you'll take that from Oklahoma State. It, it wasn't anemic. Ten, ten yards didn't seem impossible. Everything didn't look so hard. Um, they got out of the phone booth a little bit and started playing on the street. It was fun to watch. 
Yeah, and one of my Twitter followers, I'm trying to find it. I got a lot of mentions as after the game, but one of them pointed out that Dalton Cooper at left tackle made a huge difference. You saw a lot of the big runs uh, for Ollie Gordon on the left side. So it, it just seems to me the coaches have figured out finally uh, what rotations to use and to stop the rotations in some instances. But uh, I did want to talk about Alan Bowman, and I – there's just something about him that he just can't get his receivers to catch the football. He had two deep shots, Colby. One was a tough, it would have been a tough grab by Brennan Presley, but he threw a, just a, an unbelievable ball over the, over his right outside shoulder that he, that he dropped. I think Rashad Owens had another deep drop, but you saw him Colby. Like he can throw it out there deep. He can, he can test the secondary. And I think that's why they were able to find success running the football as well. I think he, he hit a big, he had a really beautiful – his best throw of the night was the one over the shoulder to, to Rashad Owens as well, who had a really good game for Oklahoma State. And I thought Alan Bowman was exactly like what I've been calling for. I think people misunderstand me when, I'm, when I've been saying that Alan Bowman should be the quarterback. They, they take that and say, well, look at his completion percentage. Look at his inaccuracy. Look, at, he throws the ball away too much, which I agree with, by the way. And it's like, is the offense functioning well? For the first time in a calendar year, yes. <laughs> That's all you need Alan Bowman to do is to have a functional offense that keeps the defense honest. And, Colby, it just blows my mind. Throughout the game, now I did dunk on some people early in the game. It's no fun to dunk on after the fact. I was just like, we're all the people that were in my mention saying Alan Bowman stinks and to play somebody else. And even though they're just they're up big on Kansas State, people are just pointing at his completion percentage and – He's not that good. And I would go with Rangel. Like people just, I think some of this is a byproduct of playing three quarterbacks and limiting the sample size, but people just cannot be happy. Colby OSU fans are not happy with Alan Bowman somewhat in my mentions. I'm sure most of them are happy. This is probably just the vocal minority. I understand that. But do you get a sense of that at all? People are still like very critical of Alan Bowman after he just beat Kansas state. And this is really all you can ask him to do is be a run a functional offense. I thought he was, I thought he was very good. I didn't think any yeah, of the problems on offense were his fault. Yeah, no, I do think to an extent that is some vocal minority. Um, I also think that people just – sometimes it's human nature to want to be right. And I think those first three weeks of the season, everybody gave their quarterback takes. And some people – I, I kind of rode the fence the whole time. I'm like, I don't know. We've seen each one for about four minutes. So I really don't know. I can't make a differentiation. Uh, but some people took really strong quarterback takes uh, about which guy should be out there. And the Rangel and Gundy people, I think, are having a little bit of take lock. Um, and they're they're having a hard time walking that take back. Look, you you didn't beat Iowa State, but that was in large part due to the defense. Um, but against Kansas State, Alan Bowman did what you needed him to do. He had a few drops. Uh, Jaden Bray had another one on a curl route. He's got to sure those up whenever, uh, you know, DBs are giving him 12-yard cushion he's got to be able to make those catches reel those in but um i thought bowman did what you needed him to do he took care of the football uh he threw it away when he needed to throw it away you know the interception against iowa state the first one i, I will say when those two receivers are in the same place you just you don't throw it there you eat it you move on you live to fight another day he did that against kansas state whenever he needed to and uh, again I'll, I'll keep telling people this um you don't have the heisman winner sitting on the bench you you need somebody out there who can do enough to maximize what you can do offensively. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, <clears throat> uh, and I think that that's what Alan Bowman did on Friday night. So I, I think Alan Bowman's clearly your guy moving forward. And it's like I said last week, Carson, you, you've got to get chemistry with the receivers. 
you, you, you just have to have a guy out there where they can get some rhythm offensively. And Alan Bowman even talked about that uh, in the locker room after the game with Robert Allen on, on the postgame show. He's like, you know, some of those deep balls, timing still just a little bit off. And Bowman even said, he's like, you know, we play together a little bit more. We're going to start hitting on those. Then we'll really be off to the races. And I hope he's right because now we're in a situation, Carson, where, um, you know, Oklahoma State's already proven that they can lose to any team on their schedule. They, they, they went two and two, I think, against the bad teams. I think they played four bad teams in September and they went two and two. And then now they played a good team and they won. So um, I think we're going to go into every Oklahoma State game the rest of the season with a football team that could win that day or a football team that could lose that day. And that's actually going to be fun with seven to go. And I didn't know if things were going to be fun with seven to go. So I, I feel a lot better than I did a week ago at this time. I do too, especially since the Big 12, other than OU and Texas, looks pretty mediocre. Uh, there's some mediocre teams that are going to play the rest of the way. So it bad. doesn't look. It's just bad. Yeah. Well, I was being kind, I guess, to my my Big 12 brethren. But yeah, that's that's probably more accurate. Um, and again, they, they were able to run the football against Kansas State, who came in ranked seventh nationally in rushing defense. I think, you know, we've been very critical of this team and this offense and, and rightfully so, but I think that there's no place for it here. Uh, they were, they were great. I mean, they, they really lit it up in the first half, 287 total yards in the first half. It just, it felt like we were watching Oklahoma state football again. And I think that is a credit to Alan Bowman and look without the drops, he throws for 300 yards. Uh, before we move on to, you know, just the overall thoughts on the game, the, the defense in, or the offense in the second half, Colby, obviously, <laughs> Tons of field goals. Uh, Alex Hale ties a school record with five. Should have had six if it wasn't blocked. The chip shot was blocked. But I, I kind of touched on it briefly earlier, Colby. I, I think their main issues when they get in the red zone is they kind of revert back to the worst form of what we've seen of the OSU offense the last three years. It's it's playing football in a phone booth. It's you know, 12, 13 personnel. Or I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 12, 13 personnel. And it's just lots of tight ends in there and a lot of cowboy backs, Colby, that just whiffed on blocks. Like they were, and, and again, I think before I get into the whiffs on blocks, it didn't it just seem so predictable when, as soon as they like crossed the 20, like it just looked different, didn't it? Like where, where was all the misdirection and keeping the defense off balance at that point? It's just, it's kind of seemed like they reverted back to their worst tendencies in a way. Yeah, it absolutely did. Pardon me, I'm fighting this cough uh, that I'm having to kick every time I start talking. Um, yeah, no, they, they definitely did. Do what now? You need a yingling. Wash it down. Uh, I do. I do. I need several, I think. I might have one uh, for a little Sunday night football action tonight with my Dallas Cowboys. But, um, yeah, I think that they did re revert back to some of that stuff. Um, but but all in all, it was it was positive, I think, on both sides of the football. Um, are you ready to transition to to defense yet, or am I jumping the gun? Well, one point I did want to make before we move on is uh, Dijon Stribling out for the year. Uh, Mike Gundy announced that he has a broken wrist. Uh, so that's that's a crushing blow. Lyric Rawls also appears to be having season-ending surgery. Uh, but Cameron Epps stepped up big time, who we'll get to. But one, the one thing I wanted to note on the, the offense struggling, it was almost like you wanted them to like, okay, guys, when you're off the field, watch what Kansas State's doing. Kansas State really – took it to OSU's defense in the second half by pulling their tight end who kept coming around that end and just blowing up the linebackers. It just seemed like when they got into the, the red zone, I counted it several times. I, I went back and looked at what was going wrong. Bra Braden Cassidy just whiffs on his guy. He's the lead blocker. 
Josiah Johnson is a good pass catcher. He's not very good blocking up front. It, I didn't hate the calls. It looked like they were there if the lead blocker does their job. And that's where I empathize a little bit with Casey Dunn. Like the calls were, some of those calls were there. If the guys just block the guy they're supposed to, and they just didn't. So I, I thought it was way, I thought it went way beyond just strictly play calling. Like I didn't like it. I did think they were too predictable. I thought they should have mixed it up more once they were still in the red zone. But I also can see where the coaches can point to, well, if this guy just does his job, he, he scores. So I, that's kind of where I was with the offense. They still have things to shore up. I loved your point about Bowman getting rhythm. I, I will never understand what they did earlier in the year, but I don't want to harp on that. But um, the offense overall, Colby, you can't – I mean, five field goals, if they just punch one of those in for a touchdown, they're breathing a lot easier at the end of the game. Yeah, they are. And I'll say this about um, – you, you know, you talk about guys do their job, you score there, and that's where you have some sympathy for the offensive staff. I get that, and I, I do think that there's some logic there. I also think that you've really struggled to to move guys and to win in those situations, just hat on a hat for a while now. And I think that's why you need that extra creativity. Um, and I think that that's why in that first half, especially, and really in, in between the twenties, they were moving guys around and had, had people going in motion. Um, you know, Kansas state defensively guys were shifting, they were pointing, they were looking at each other. They were just having to process more as Oklahoma state was getting to the line. Um, I think that that creativity needs to continue into the red zone because that's where um, Oklahoma State was struggling. And, you know, you bring extra guys down in the box. Oklahoma State's struggling just putting a hat on a hat and going out and outmanning, outphysicaling people in the red zone. So I think that you need to do that because, Carson, I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I didn't say I was a little disappointed that the final number for Oklahoma State ended up being 29. If you don't think I was sitting there chanting, here comes 30 when they were driving down the field in the third quarter, and then they kick a field goal in the third quarter, party two field goals in the third quarter and a field goal in the fourth quarter. And 29 is where they leave off. And the streak continues. I was so invested in getting to 30. Were they trolling us? Like, how do they not get to 30 in that game? Like how? Yeah, I don't know. It's, I thought for sure. I mean, they had 20 at halftime. And I looked at my dad at halftime and I said, you know what? I would hate to be the number 30 tonight because the number 30 <laughs> is getting got in Boone Pickens Stadium for the first time in a long time. And they get to 29? They stole out of 29? It can't be. <laughs> it's like, what do they got to do? What, I mean, what do they got to do? It's, just, it's been a full calendar year, but I do think this is the best the offense has looked since that Texas game where they did score uh, 30. Again, Ollie Gordon, 21 carries, 136 yards and a touch. He averaged six and a half. Uh, yards per carry. They averaged 4.4, which is right in Mike Gundy's sweet spot. You mentioned Jaden Bray, 77 yards. Uh, Rashad Owens. I mean, one of those guys that feels like he's been on campus about seven years. Uh, they moved him to Cowboy back briefly at one point in his career, but with stribbling out Colby, I thought, I thought Rashad Owens really stepped up and, and gave, you know, Alan Bowman was looking his way quite a bit in this game. And I thought he played really well. Pardon me, I coughed all the way through the end of that. I, my cough has really snuck up on me uh, in the middle of this episode here. Um, just throw that at me again. Yeah, just Rashad Owens. I was mentioning how Stribling's out for the year. And, uh, you know, Rashad Owens, Bowman was looking for him a lot. And I think that was because he was winning at the line of scrimmage. He was running good routes. And he he uh, he was really a, a big focal point in the offense against Kansas State. He, he played He played great. 
Yeah, he was. He was a great fill-in for Oklahoma State, and, and Oklahoma State needed that guy because I was worried when I heard Stribling was down before the game. And Owens is is kind of that guy that I think Mike Gundy loves, right? Like he's been around for, I think this is his fourth year now at Oklahoma State, and he hadn't hopped in the portal <clears throat> despite the fact that he was not one of the the leading target getters, you know, leading, you know, route runners for Oklahoma State. And now with an injury opportunity opening up, he made the most of it with five for 75. He's, I believe, uh, a three-star, low three-star out of San Antonio, uh, came in maybe in that 19 class. And he has just really waited his turn to get out there. And I think that's a guy that Mike, Mike Gundy really likes. Uh, a little bit more of a throwback, you know, doesn't transfer after a year or two of not getting all the opportunities. So uh, big time from Rashad Owens. And I expect him to be part of the offense moving forward because he, he doesn't have the blazing speed, but he's got the size. And if he can just wall off some defenders as he comes across the field on a slant or on some of those curls that Oklahoma State likes to run, I think Alan Bowman's going to be able to look for him. And uh, Bowman even mentioned it after the game, that touchdown catch that Owens had at Iowa State a couple of weeks ago kind of gave Owens the confidence to, to be that guy and gave Bowman the confidence that he can throw it in his direction and Owens is going to box somebody out and go get it. So uh, I look for him to be a, a pretty key part of the offense moving forward because he's a big body receiver that your quarterback trusts at this point. Yeah, no, that's career high for him too, seventy-five yards. So yeah, they they need they need somebody to step up with with stribbling out uh, for the rest of the year. That's a that's a huge blow. Uh, defensively, um, what a performance, right? I mean, they they tied the offense with number of touchdowns. And look, I I kind of thought Will Howard would would give them trouble. Uh, he did have the long seventy-yard touchdown, almost touchdown run, went down to the one-yard line, but he throws three picks. I mean, fifteen of thirty-four. This was kind of the defense we envisioned with the three-three-five. I mean, there just wasn't a lot of places to put the football for Will Howard. And I thought, you know, uh, the secondary losing Lyric Rawls was a concern, but man, they had guys step up left and right. And man, they they really swarmed the football and didn't give up, you know, a ton to Kansas State. They really they really played outstanding. I thought they they clearly won the football game. I mean, in terms of when it got tight, uh, forcing. Uh, you know, turnover on downs and obviously the interceptions. That was that was huge. Yeah, we talked last week on the preview about whether this defense was good enough for this team to win games in the 20s. And that's exactly what we saw Friday night. And I've got to give just a huge, huge amount of credit to Cameron Epps, who, you know, he comes out, he gets the start at Iowa State uh, after the injury to Lyric Rawls. And, and it's just, it goes really poorly for Cameron Epps in that first week. And that's got to be tough for a freshman. You get on the field, you lose by a touchdown, and there's kind of a, a low light reel of your guys being out in space and miscommunications and slipped and fell down on a route. <clears throat> but uh, Friday night, man, he was everywhere. He had the pick early on a ball that Will Howard never should have thrown deep over the middle, threw it right to him. And then the play before the halftime, the pick six um, for Cameron Epps, which he said was his first pick six of his life at any level of football. That was just, uh, that was a great read by him, number one. It was a disastrous decision by Will Howard to throw it out there after he'd already stood in the pocket for three seconds to throw it that far outside the numbers. I, I think maybe his receiver <clears throat> was going to try to take off up the sideline instead of coming back, and Will Howard thought he was going to come back. But either way, Cameron Epps didn't have anybody close to him whenever he came underneath that. And that, to me, was the swing play of the entire game. I, I don't know if the game plays out differently. Obviously, butterfly effect, we can't predict those things. But being up 13-7 to at halftime with, with a, a team that's struggling to find its identity and that they haven't really learned how to win close games, that is so much different than going up 20-7 to at halftime and going in. So uh, Cameron Epps had a huge night. <laughs> Nicholas Martin had a huge night, 17 and a half tackles, I believe it was. 
uh, for Nicholas Martin, 17 tackles for Nicholas Martin. Those two guys were just unbelievable and really, really kind of the, the spark that Oklahoma State needed defensively. And the turnovers were just the turnovers were huge, Carson. Will Howard was terrible, uh, but he was uncomfortable all game. So bunch of credit to Brian Nardo and to the defense because we didn't know if they had it in them, and they absolutely did. And if Oklahoma State is going to get to six and is going to keep winning football games, I think that they're still going to have to win some games in the 20s, and I have a little more optimism that they can do that after what we saw Friday night. Yeah, I mean, just put yourself in Cameron Epps' Epps's shoes. I mean, his first career start is in Ames. We all know how that went. I mean, he had the big slip up for the giveaway touchdown to, to Iowa State. And, you know, football is such a team game, especially on defense. I mean, everyone has to rally to the football, do their own assignments. And it's it's a very much a collective that ends up as a whole, and it's a team game. But just imagine the roller coaster emotions after that Ames game and and the challenge put forth to Cameron Epps to step up and and not let, one not let that happen again where he's where he's giving up touchdowns, but then to essentially be the player of the game on on both sides of the football. I mean Brian Nardo, and this is this is an awesome story. He Brian Nardo said Epps had seven interceptions the past two weeks at practice, including a three interception day. So this is a guy that was as down as you can possibly be. And then he just turns it on. He says, you know what? That is not the football player that I am. I'm going to go prove people wrong. And not only did he do it in practice to back it up, to keep his spot, he does it against Kansas State on on national television under the lights on Friday night. I mean, what a roller coaster the last two, three weeks have been for him. And you you can't help Colby, but just be happy for a guy when uh, they're really – challenged in a way that you know college kids we, we're all challenged in certain ways but when you're a college football player and you're walking across campus and you were the guy that gave up the touchdown to Iowa State like that's tough man and I'm sure it was very challenging for, for him mentally in practice with his coaches but man he was he was awesome and I'm with you I think that that single-handedly shifted the kind of the script of how this game was going to play out and, and really gave OSU the breathing room they had to have because their offense really got stuck in a rut in the second half. Yeah, it did. And like you said, I mean, you're 19 years old. You're walking across campus. Every every time you look on social media, people are talking about the, the mistakes that you made against Iowa State. That's tough for young people to deal with, you know. And for, for him to bounce back the way he did is really admirable. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk some more about him uh, later in the show whenever we get to our toast of the week. But uh, Carson, he wasn't the only one. I mean, Nicholas Martin, my God, he was everywhere. He had an interception as well uh, late in the game whenever Kansas State's driving. Um, he, he jumps underneath one and picks it off. 17 tackles, 10 of those solo, two and a half tackles for loss, and he gets the interception. I, I mean, it's I, I feel like it would be criminal not to give the player of the game to Cameron Epps, but, I mean, Nicholas Martin deserves it too. So, um, yeah, Nicholas Martin has really filled in that Mason Cobb role that I didn't know that you would have somebody to take over just right. Uh, deal, dealing with some injury stuff early in the season. And Nicholas Martin has just really gotten in there and, and made himself the guy. And Oklahoma State needed somebody to take on that role. It, it was Malcolm and Devin Harper. And then last year, Mason Cobb and Xavier Benson teamed up pretty nicely. And then Cobb leaves. Uh, and Nicholas Martin has filled those shoes nicely. So what, what we saw Friday night from Nicholas Martin gives me confidence going forward uh, that he can be that guy for Oklahoma State. Because Oklahoma State has had linebackers be a big, big part of this defense uh, with, with these successful defenses that we've seen the past couple of years. Um, so that, that I think, is a very key piece 
of this defense. And Nicholas Martin looks like he's that guy, Carson. I thought that was the best performance from a linebacker since Malcolm Rodriguez uh, left OSU. I, I really did. I mean, the, the stats obviously tell you, but he was just all over the football, all over the field. And I thought Mike Gundy gave one of the better quotes he's given in a while. Uh, Marshall Scott noted this in his 10 thoughts. Uh, quote, Nick's got a great future for two reasons. One, he's tough. He's old school tough. And two, he loves football. One of Gundy's favorite Gundyisms, by the way. Those are two things that are hard to find nowadays in recruiting. Young men that love football. They don't care about the sideshow. They don't care about social media. They don't care about whatever else kids nowadays care about. TikTok or Tic Tac or whatever it is. He loves football and he's tough. That's why he's a good football player. Like, setting aside the social media dig from Mike Gundy, like, you know, Mike Gundy wrestled in high school. I, I think Mike Gundy views himself as a man's man. And I, and I, I'm certainly not one to doubt him. I mean, anyone wrestler, like when, when this world goes up in flames and the zombies are attacking wrestlers will be the last one standing. So I, I believe Mike when he, when he believes Nick Martin is old school tough. And I, I do believe him that there is a new school tough. That's different than old school tough. So I love that description of Nick Martin because it just flies off the TV screen when you're watching him. Like the, the phrase he's got that dog in him, like, the, that type of phrase and cliche was meant for people like Nick Martin. He he's the guy Colby that if there's a brawl in the locker room, like the C the C parts a little bit and Nick kind of just walks where he wants to is kind of the vibe I'm getting. But he he was awesome and I love that quote from Mike Gundy. Yeah, he was great and it just it looked like they were having fun on that side of the ball for really the first time uh, in a while. You know, Xavier Benson, there's a picture going around Twitter where he's chasing Will Howard and he's just smiling from ear to ear as he's just running across the field, chasing down Will Howard because that defense was having fun. The crowd was really pretty awesome. Uh, It was a great atmosphere on a Friday night. The blackout did pretty well. It was loud. Uh, People stayed for the entire game. I mean, it was still packed at the end of the game, which was, which was awesome. Uh, Traffic was, was a little steeper than you might've normally thought that, for a game that ended at about 10 15 uh but it was worth it man that that crowd was awesome and the defense fed off that i i really don't know you know it, it's unquantifiable how much that actually plays in to the result but i don't know if, if this is a saturday 11 a.m kickoff i don't know if this game plays out the way it does and we'll never know uh but a friday night game was a raucous crowd and the defense just embraced every bit of it uh they were playing fast and they were having fun and that is what Oklahoma State needs to look like defensively. And if they can do it to Kansas State, then why can't they do it to Cincinnati? Why can't they do it to UCF, BYU, Houston? Why can't they do it to some of these other schools that they have left on their schedule? Uh, the, the defensive performance is giving me more life this, this week, I think, than the offense. Um, because, I, I again, I still think that this team is going to have to win a lot of games scoring fewer than 30 points. Well, I, I think what it comes down to, though, Colby, like, I think it has way more to do with the approach and the situation than it does game time. For instance, uh, Mike Gundy has pulled off the upset in eight of the last nine home games as a home underdog. I just think Mike Gundy approaches the game differently as an underdog. I think we've talked about that for years on this podcast. I mean, eight of the last nine as a home underdog is not that's not a coincidence. I mean, you, you think back to the corn dog game against Texas at home. Granted, albeit at night game, I, I do think Stillwater at night's a tough place to play with the crowd being as close as it is. But how many games, Colby, where OSU's a favorite? Do they just do just enough to win the game versus how they play as an underdog? 
uh, I think the approach has everything to do with it. And I think that approach starts with who you're playing at quarterback, who you're playing at running back, uh, and, and all the way through the roster, really. So I think that, I think that's frustrating in a lot of ways. Like, I think you should approach every game with a, we're going to take it to you and we're going to pull out some stuff you haven't seen before, as opposed to just doing enough. But I think that's why. I think that's why Mike Gundy is so good as an underdog. It's why he's so good when people are, are doubting him. Is I think he gets a little fire in him that he doesn't, frankly, have when they're playing, you know, Central Arkansas to open up the season. Maybe I'm simplifying it, but I, I, the track record there is way too long for me. I think it has everything to do with approach. No, I think you're absolutely right, and that's that for Brett McMurphy, eight of nine as a home dog. Man, I, I mean, make us a home dog the rest of the year. I, I don't care if it's to UCF, whoever it is. Make us a – well, I guess UCF's on the road. Cincinnati, BYU, make us a one-point home dog to those schools so that Oklahoma State can go out and play with some fire. Um, it, it is pretty wild. It seems like Oklahoma State plays tighter as a favorite, and, and that's just obviously outside looking in. But we, we've seen it time and time again over the years where Oklahoma State goes out as a, as a favorite, and it's like, where is this team? Why, why is this team so flat? Then they come out as a dog, and they're doing what they're doing on Friday night. Um, I, I do think it has to do with approach. I also think that, that Mike Gundy, when things are going poor, I think that he just has a, a way in between, you know, we, we said the bye week fell at the perfect time, and I think it did because I think Mike Gundy spent that time to motivate, right? And, and I think that he, he talked about after the game with Robert, needed to find some leaders, some guys who, who could bring that energy because that energy wasn't existing on its own, so you needed to have somebody force it. And he said that he talked to four or five guys in the bye week and said, you're responsible for the energy for this unit, keeping everybody up. And he said guys responded. So I don't know what it is about being a dog uh, and what that ignites in Mike Gundy and what it ignites in his players. But Oklahoma State is really good as a dog, especially at home, um, just like we saw on Friday. That was, boy, if you're a Kansas State fan, that one must have been tough to watch. You assume you've got a cupcake layup gimme, uh, and then you really – kind of get your, your doors blown off. That game was not as close as I think the 29 to 21 final score would indicate. I, I wouldn't either. And I will say, I, I can't remember what point the game is. I should have pulled up all the play-by-play. But do you remember at one point, I think Kansas State had just gotten the ball back and Will Howard throws the deep shot to his tight end and it was just like a foot too far. He had already beaten the OSU defensive back who got up and acted like he had made a play when he was dead to rights. I think against a better quarterback, they might have lost the game. Will Howard had a deep shot, right? Do you remember the play I'm talking about to that tight end? Yeah, I know exactly which play you were talking about. And and to be fair to Will Howard, he wasn't only bad on that throw. There were about 14 other overthrows in that <laughs> game, too. He was a train wreck. He was. And I just – it's the, that's, the, that's how college football is, though, right? You can point to one specific play. It's like, well, if that happens, then this happens. So – but again, I, he was terrible and obviously wasn't on point all night. It's just that was one of those moments I was like, was Squinky asleep then? Because like that always happens. Like right when they get the ball, you got momentum and boom, over the top. And just something special about Stillwater at night, I guess. It was incomplete. But uh, Mike Gundy pulled out a new dance move, Colby. Not only was he dancing in the locker room, he, he reiterated a lot of things you said about bringing your own energy in the locker room talk. But he pulled out the handstand. Did you see this on social media? Oh, I saw it. Yeah. Pulled out the handstand and then they were picking him up by the ankles. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the keg I know he stand. wasn't doing push-ups like that. So that was, uh, that looked pretty intense. How old, Mike Gundy's got to be what? 55 now. If I'm a man, I'm 40 was what? 07, 08. He's got to be 55, 56. Man, 
I hope I'm in that good of shape in 25 years. Uh, I think it's the keg stand that uh, never graduate, right? You just, <laughs> I, I guess so. I mean, it was a Friday night in Stillwater. It's like riding a bike. Uh, but no, that, that was great. Uh, let's get to the, uh, Chris's university spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris university spirit.com. You know, the next time I'm in Chris's, I need to, I need to go get me a new OSU hat. I've been, I've been looking online. I, there's several different routes to go, but I need to get a new OSU ball cap. So next time I'm in Stillwater, that's where I'm going because Chris is going to have all the latest and greatest. I might go, I might go Curse of Cowboys. That's kind of where I'm leaning. I got plenty of Swing and Pete hats. I don't need another one of those. But Colby, I, I love the OSU baseball hat, but they just, I just look like a goof in a in a flat bill baseball hat. I, I know you got a small head. I got a giant head, but I still just. I don't think it's me. I don't think I look good in a base like the the traditional baseball style hat. So I'll, I'll have to I'll have to look around more when I'm there. Yeah, I can't really pull off the uh, the flat bill either. But I love the Oklahoma State baseball hats. They are elite. I need a curse of Cowboys though. That's that's kind of the one uh, the one that I really need to complete the collection is the curse of Cowboys. So that'll probably be what I go for my next trip to Chris's. I won't be able to be there Saturday for the Kansas game. So I guess I'll have to wait a few weeks when they play Cincinnati. Um, and hopefully it'll be an earlier kick time. The the six thirty was weird because we weren't able to get to Stillwater early because of baby nap. You know, she woke up at four thirty and we headed straight there. So hopefully we'll have a uh, a morning or an afternoon kick for Cincinnati and we can get up there a little bit early and enjoy Stillwater some because that was my first trip back in a while and we were just boom into the stadium, out of the stadium, right back home. So hopefully we'll have some time to browse next time. Yeah, that uh, had to be a fun night though. How how was the crowd? Was it ele- it seemed electric on TV? Yeah, crowd was great. It was it was packed. Um, I mean, the sellout was not a fluke. There there were people everywhere. Um, decent amount of Kansas State fans, but you you wouldn't have known it from the noise. Uh, Mike Gundy said after the game that it kind of felt like a bedlam atmosphere. I I don't know that I would go that far. Don't think it felt quite like what 21, 20, 21 bedlam felt like. Certainly, um, and I don't think it felt anything like what this year's bedlam is going to feel like if that game is even remotely competitive. So. Um, yeah, but all in all, it was it was a great crowd, and the big thing was they stayed. Everybody stayed until the end um, and, and saw it through to the finish, and that's big because Gundy talked about it after the game. When you come out after halftime and 15,000 people are gone, that sucks, and that's deflating for the team. Um, but, yeah, everybody stuck around, and it was a, a great crowd for a Friday night game. The, 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 home, the home crowd advantage on Friday night in college football, it's real, Carson. Yep, it, it really is. You mentioned that stat uh, last week, and I, it's just – it's very, very – it's a very proud moment, I think, as as someone who's been associated with OSU as long as I have. Like, not that long ago, you'd see, like, the screenshots of, like, the stands, and they'd be, like, you know, half full, right, close to kickoff, and other fan bases would make fun of OSU for not filling their stadium. Like those days are gone, man. And again, that's a credit to Mike Gundy who I thought did a great job on Friday night and just what he's been able to build fan base wise is pretty remarkable. Now that success obviously comes with it, building up the stadium as nice as it is now that comes with it too, but things have changed from really the last 10 years uh, where, where they were then versus where they are now to where you get a, that type of crowd on a Friday night. A 6.30 is tough to get to. I mean, Stillwater's remote. It takes about an hour if you're from Tulsa or Oklahoma City nowadays, So, uh, especially with construction going on. So that that was awesome. But you did nail the, uh, the uniform picks, all black. I, I thought they 
They even put out this official blackout T-shirt, and the helmet was white, Colby. So I thought my white, black, black was going to be dead on the money, but you, you got it right this time. Yeah, I just figured for a blackout, they're going to go head to toe, and they did, and the Curse of Cowboys looked good. Uh, those uniforms look sharp. I, I like all blacks. I like all whites. I think that that, I think just the solid color looks great. And it looked really good on, uh, on Friday night. And then the white popping off the helmets and off the shoulder pads. Yeah. I thought that was probably the cleanest look of the season. The, the stripe matching the sleeves, the stripe on the helmet matching the sleeves. Like that is just like chef's kiss. And it's so good when they tweeted the photo of it, Colby, like, I think it's, the best uniform they've ever worn. And I, I'm Ooh. not trying to be, I'm not trying to be prisoner of the moment. I'm not trying to have recency bias, but I've told this story once. I've said it a hundred times. I was telling my mom this story when she was over with my dad. I remember sitting in old Lewis field with the two old school single bar helmets that used to be up on the press box. There was a white one that had pistol Pete and there was a black one that had the old school brand and white. And I, as a seven year old, you're not really, focus too much on the game you're kind of just gaga looking around and i i just i distinctly remember going why in the world would they wear a white helmet when they can wear that that black helmet why do they wear white orange and white when they can wear orange and black that just that never made any sense to me and here we are with this uniform with the cursive cowboys mind you with the new look jerseys and pants like it's everything i've ever wanted and like the performance on the field will come and go but for a uniform guy like me, these are high times, man. This is this was my Fiesta Bowl championship. This was the game against LSU that OSU should have gotten to play in in 2011 for me, uniform wise. It it was awesome. They they have never looked better in a uniform. They just look bigger, faster, in all black. It just it was Chef's kiss is the best way to put it. I I loved them. I never even thought to contextualize it as uh, best uniforms they've ever worn. I thought best of the season for sure. But whenever you said that, I immediately went to the Oklahoma State football Twitter and I pulled up some of the highlights and some of the still shots. These things are pretty clean, man. I, again, I, I don't know if I can say that off the top of my head because they've been wearing elite uniforms for a while now. But, uh, boy, I'm watching these back. These are pretty clean. So these are, are certainly near the top of the list. I wouldn't even be totally opposed to seeing these things again in four weeks. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen, but you run these Why out not? for Bedlam, or do you have too many combos to wear the same ones twice in a season? Uh, I mean, I'll make an exception for these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah, these are these are unbelievable. And if if you could do something special in Bedlam, to do them in these would be even that much sweeter because you'd have these highlights forever in these uniforms. Yeah, I mean, top top marks all around. And I, I don't think that's hyperbole for me to say, too, because – you know, 2011, uh, they had the more plain numbers, which I liked. But when they switched to like those that cowboy barbed wire on the pants and cowboy barbed wire numbers and like the bandana print, that just there was a time for that back when Oregon was first getting going. But I, I, the the new look uniforms they have now that are more traditional, just I just think they pop. They just look so much cleaner. So I think that that really is what puts it over the top for me. Yeah, I think so too. They're they're better than they were several years ago, and Saturday night was uh, a masterpiece. The Mona Lisa of Oklahoma State uniforms. Yeah, uh, you ready for Yingling Toast of the Week? Yes, sir. I've uh, I'm going back and forth. So you go first, and I'll take whatever's left because I I don't want to steal one of yours. I've got a couple options. Okay. Um, let's see here. Wait, you want me to go first? Oh yeah. Did I put you on the spot, or do you want me to just just pick, well, or I can just rattle through mine? 
Uh, how about you go ahead and, and rattle through? I, I need to go grab my computer charger, but I'll take my computer with me so I can hear you. Let me go grab my charger and you, you give me all. Just go ahead and go through all of them. Okay, yeah, sounds good. This will be like uh, the episode of The Office where they just keep repeating toasts over and over again. Uh, toast of the Week, Cameron Epps. We talked about him earlier. He, he's got to get one. Um, to, to come back and do what he did, and the reason I'm, I'm going with Cameron Epps first, numero uno, is because he had all of the doubt outside and around him. I'm sure that there was even some self-doubt. I mean, how could there not be after that game at Iowa State? But he just came back. He put the work in in the bye week. That was obvious. He was where he needed to be, when he needed to be there, uh, and he made the play of the game. I, I think that the pick six was what gave Oklahoma State the cushion to play how Mike Gundy likes to play and just kind of work their way toward a victory. So Cameron Epps gets my first toast. Uh, we'll pour out some more yingling for uh, Nicholas Martin. He gets another toast. 17 tackles. How can you not? Two and a half for loss. Uh, fourth quarter interception. Nicholas Martin was unbelievable, so he gets one as well. And then Carson how do I not give one to Alex Hale? I mean, good grief. This guy's got to be in, in competition for the Grozo Award. He's three for three now from beyond 50 yards this season. Uh, his only miss the other night in six tries was a field goal that was blocked. Uh, Gundy runs him out again from 53, granted, in much calmer conditions this week. And he just nails it. Hunziker said on the, on the postgame show that it was fluttering those last 15 yards. It made it. Alex Hale, five made field goals. Um, and, and you're going to need those to win close games. And again, even with Oklahoma State starting to look better offensively, I don't think anybody thinks that, that Oklahoma State is going to be running away from a ton of teams. And to know that once you get to the opposing 35, you're, you're in scoring position, you can score from there, that matters in close games. So Alex Hale uh, gets another toast for what he's doing for Oklahoma State because for, for a team with a small margin of error that, that has to win by doing the little things right, being able to kick field goals uh, from 50 354 yards and in is pretty nice. So uh, those are my three. Carson, what you got? Yeah, that's uh, now you're Oprah giving out toasts of yingling left and right. You get a toast. You get a toast. You Everybody get a toast. gets one. I didn't even give one to Ollie, and he put somebody in the dirt. Yeah, no, I tweeted this during the game. I think Alex Hale deserves an ice bath full of yingling for how many times he got run out there. Uh, and he, he gave some great quotes. I mean, he, he really, first he talked about the wind in Boone Pickens. And I, I wanted to see if you agreed with this. He, he says the wind swirls a lot in Boone Pickens. You've been there more lately than I have. Uh, do you get a sense of that, that sometimes the wind can, can kind of be a little erratic? Cause he, he talked a lot about that. hundred percent. Wind was blowing out of the North on Friday night as that cold front came in and it comes in that Northeast corner of the stadium. And then it's bold in there. So you get a gust that comes through, and then it kind of wraps around. Um, it, it's a unique stadium because it's not bowled all the way in, but it's also not open at both ends. So it makes it very kind of awkward uh, where the wind definitely swirls in Boone Pickens Stadium because of the, the just sheer uniqueness of having it open on the east end and closed on the west end. Uh, it's a little different, and, yeah, the wind is tricky. Yeah, and he, he also talked about I, – I can see that, and that, that makes – the job he did even more impressive, but he also talked about why he stayed. You know, we all remember the the freak injury. He got injured in warmups of Bedlam. I believe it was 2020 and he, you know, he loses his job to Tanner Brown, who was excellent. And I think he was playing for the Rams for a little while was Tanner Brown. And he was asked why he stuck around. And I thought it was a fascinating answer. He said, the reason why was Mike Gundy. He said the way he treats specialists he treats us, you know, he kind of lets a, us do our own thing, but he also like respects us and knows our importance and he treats us very well. And he's like, I didn't want to play for anyone else. 
And so when we, we give Mike grief for, you know, all sorts of things. And that's, that's part of being the head coach, but I also think it kind of shows, I've talked a lot about how forward thinking he was with practices, not being as physical early on when he took over, he was one of the first coaches to give his guys more rest and have shorter practices. Les miles used to be a drill sergeant. They used to practice for hours and hours when I was a student reporter. And I think this is another instance. I think this is where him being a former player and, you know, befriending guys like Kerry Blanchard, you know, f- uh, fellow teammates of his, like he knows how mentally taxing it can be to be a kicker. You know, they're, they're looked down upon mostly in, in football locker rooms. It just, that's kind of what it is. But I think that's a very illuminating quote that he, he didn't want to play for anyone else. And so yingling to, to Alex Hale and yingling to Mike Gundy, I thought he, he threw the kitchen sink like I asked for. And he also, uh, got a really good kicker to stick around based on the way he treats people. That's, that's, that's great stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, yeah, Mike Gundy, he's just an interesting character, isn't he? Like there's no figuring out Mike Gundy. As soon as we think that he's on top of the world, it looks like the bottom's falling out of this thing. As soon as it looks like the bottom's falling out of this thing, he, he writes the ship. Um, and as, as soon as it seems like there, there might be some guys who, who don't love playing for him, then all of a sudden it looks like everybody does love playing for him. Mike Gundy is a, a mystery wrapped in an enigma. I, I do want to talk to you about something uh, in the macro, Carson, and that's NIL. And what I want to talk about specifically is the tone shift with not only Mike Gundy, but the program and the university in the bye week. There was a tone shift for Mike Gundy in his press conference, talking about the importance of NIL. And then I'm sitting in the stadium. Pokes with a purpose has been a big deal. It's been all over social media. Everybody, you know, donate with Pokes to a purpose. They've really been pushing it, right? Athletes tweeting it out. So I'm sitting in the stadium on Friday night, and I think it was in the second quarter. They throw up Pokes with a purpose on all the Jumbotrons with a QR code. They're announcing. They're talking about NIL. If everyone in the stadium will donate $100 tonight to NIL, we'll be able to fully fund NIL for the entire university, all this stuff. And they threw it up again in the third or fourth quarter. And I asked my mom and dad, because I wasn't able to go to the non-con games, I said, were they doing this in the non-conference, or is this new tonight? And they both said that it was new. So those are my sources. My mom and dad uh, sitting next to me in the stadium. So if I have that incorrect and they did it in the non-con, somebody let me know. But assuming that they didn't, Carson, that's a big tone shift after a September in which NIL didn't seem to be a part of the Oklahoma State football program at all to now your head coach is talking about it in the press conference. All your players are tweeting about it. You're throwing it up on the Jumbotron mid-game multiple times with a QR code for people to donate right from their seats, um, which both of my parents did. It was funny. My my dad did it and told my mom, and then my mom had already done it and told my dad. Uh, so it was kind of funny that they ended up double donating. But um, the, the tone shift, in NIL during the bye week, I think is very noticeable. Uh, And I don't know if that comes from the administration or if like you and I talked about last week, maybe Mike Gundy just decided he missed the boat on that and needed to change course. But it's, it's very encouraging uh, that it's not an entire season of we need guys who aren't worried about NIL. They've, it was a bad September, but the tone has changed Carson. NIL um, seems like maybe it's, it's found its way to Stillwater. For the better. Yeah, no, that's great. I, maybe they're just listening to our podcast. You know, I, I asked for the kitchen sink. We got it. <laughs> I asked for everyone in the state, everyone, the, when they buy season tickets to have to make, like be forced to make a $10 donation. Maybe that's the next best thing. I think maybe they're crowdsourcing this, but that's, that's great. And that's, that's what needs to happen. Um, that's again, this isn't going anywhere and you're either, you're either get on board or get left behind. So it sounds like the decision makers at OSU have really made this a priority and 
uh, credit to them for getting Mike Gundy to shift his opinion on it. Cause it, it, Colby, I didn't think you were strong enough last week. I, I think it's a pretty hard 180 for Mike. And I don't think that comes without some conversations. We'll say that's just me speculating again. But again, that, that was a pretty sharp 180 from Mike. No, you're not wrong. It, it absolutely was. Um, but you know, it's one of those better late than never type things because sure. NIL is just like quarterback you know, and running back. <laughs> better yeah, late than yeah, never. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. It's uh, again, I, I don't want to just harp on September because just getting this win feels good. And it, it just gives a little bit of hope for the rest of the season. And, and more than anything, Carson, it was just a fun night at Boone Pickens stadium. And I think everybody needed that. The team needed that. The coaches needed that. The fan base needed to just go to Boone Pickens stadium and have a fun night and watch a fun football game that went our way. Uh, and it did. And it was against Kansas state. You know, we had the conversation last week, which big 12 school, um, do you like the best? That's not Oklahoma state. And we're like, yeah, it's Kansas State. Kansas State's awesome. It's funny because I was walking out of the game, uh, and I always end up making conversation with people. So I started talking to a Kansas State fan as we were walking to the parking lot, and he said that they feel the exact same way. I told him about that conversation, about how everybody down here loves Oklahoma State. He's like, yeah, even denied. He's like, nobody was talking trash. Everybody was just having a good time cheering on their team. He was like, we always like Oklahoma State. We root for you guys. Um, so, yes, good, good connection between Oklahoma State and Kansas State fans, everybody. That's great. I mean, that's it's good to know the feelings mutual, right? Like I've I've never had any quarrel with Kansas State. Every K State fan I've known over the years have been good people. And I think there's really a kinship there against the Oklahomas, the Texases of the world, amongst the schools beneath them that are looking up saying, you know, we get no respect. So I think in both being rural schools, both being state schools, uh, there's a there's a natural kinship there. I, uh, I sure wish we had played them in the Big 12 Championship game instead of Baylor. Uh, I, I can't stand Baylor. So if we're going to lose, I'd rather lose Kansas State. Yeah, but, no doubt. And by, and by the way, um, can I just can I just get on my soapbox and, and rip the head coach real quick for some in-game decisions? Oh, I meant to ask you about that. Go ahead. Not our head coach, their head coach, who is winless in his career in Stillwater at Boone Pickens Stadium. I mean – we get, I think, so bogged down in covering Oklahoma State that we don't realize that, look, yes, things move fast. Boneheaded decisions get made. Boneheaded decisions are not just getting made by the people wearing orange. Chris Kleiman, what are you doing? Fourth and eight in the third quarter when you're down by 10 points? Fourth and eight coming into the West end zone. Your offense isn't exactly performing like a juggernaut at this moment. Will Howard's having one of the worst nights of his career. That was as loud as the stadium got all night was on fourth and eight coming into the West end zone. All you have to do is run your kicker out there for a 35 yarder. You're within a touchdown with eight minutes to go in the third, eight and a half minutes to go in the third. He tries to go for it. It's too loud. The center can't hear what Will Howard's saying. He snaps the ball at the wrong time. It was such a boneheaded coaching decision by Chris Kleiman. There were three or four others uh, that I watched from Kansas state in game that I thought, what on God's earth are these guys doing? And it made me feel a little bit better knowing that whenever I see stuff like that happen in Oklahoma State, okay, this is just the team I cover. This is the one that I watch every snap all year long. So we see the good, but we also see all the bad. The bad happens elsewhere too, because there were just some uh, mind-numbing coaching decisions made by the people wearing purple on Friday. Oh, I thought Chris Kleiman had a howler. I mean, I thought he was bad with his decisions. And I misspoke on the last pod, hand up. I said Chris Kleiman has Mike Gundy's number. He's now one and four against Mike Gundy. So uh, I don't know why I said that. You know, sometimes, Cole, we do, you know, hours of podcasts a week. 
week after week, sometimes you're going to miss misspeak. <laughs> so that was definitely one of those. How about the the fourth down on his own thirty? Was that was that the one uh, you're referencing? Yeah, I lost no, that, track was, a, of them that all. was a bad one. Uh, there was one other. There was one other specific one. I should have written it down when I was at the game. Uh, I should have taken a note in my phone. Sometimes I remember to take notes. Sometimes I don't, and I should have. Um, but yeah, there was there was one other that was just really bad, and I didn't understand what was going on. But it, to to say that I had to say that it was a pleasure to sit in the West end zone and watch the opposing coach just make boneheaded decision after boneheaded decision in game. I was dumbfounded that those things were going Oklahoma state's way. Now, what did you think of him going for two when they, they make the score 29, 21 and he Kansas state goes for two. Uh, I thought it was because look, they're down, they're down eight. You kick the extra point. You're down seven. And the analytics crowd came for me, Colby. The, the analytics crowd, and I and I I can see the argument. The argument is, if you don't get it, you're still down eight and can go for two for the tie. But if you get it, then all you got to do is kick the extra point for the win. But I'm of the mindset, Colby. I don't chase points when I don't have to. I kick the extra point. We're down seven, and I worry about and plus two like. I worry about the decision later because I also think it plays into your favor later. Let's say Kansas State gets another touchdown. They had a decision to go for two in the win or one in the tie. You obviously know you you have made that decision prior, so you don't give OSU any time to react. You run your two-point team out there. OSU is probably going to be frantic and call timeout. That's to your benefit as well. I think you also bring in the element of this defense still on the field after a touchdown drive, then having to stop you with the game on the line. I think that's way harder to do. So I, I thought that was a curious, strange decision that people were throwing out the word analytics at me. I, I didn't like that either. Yeah, I didn't totally hate it. It's not the play that I would have called in that moment. So that drive, well, one thing I thought Kansas State did really poorly on Saturday night is they let Will Howard drop back and throw the ball 34 times when he just he couldn't hit the ocean from the beach on Friday night. But running the football, 10 for 104 and a touchdown. And at that point, Kansas State had a ton of momentum. And every time Will Howard took off, Oklahoma State did not have an answer for Will Howard taking off in that moment. So I thought for sure they were going to line up for the two-point conversion, snap it to Howard, fake the little give, run the counter off left guard, and and he was maybe going to be in to cut it to six. They go with the Philly special. There's a lot going on there. Um, You know, this is one of the ones you say, sometimes you feel bad for coaches because the guys don't execute. I mean, the guy just, I don't know what it looked like on TV. It was opposite end zone in the stadium, but it looks like he just dropped it. I don't know if a defender got his hand in, but it looked like a, a well-executed play, and then the guy just dropped it in the end zone. Um, and, and I'll say, as the home fan in that situation, I was nervous, and I didn't like that they were going for two because I thought that they were going to get it because our defense was reeling. It doesn't end up working out, but that's not a, that's not a decision that I hate from the Kansas State side um, because there were multiple ways that that works out for them, and it, it just didn't that time. So uh, I didn't totally hate that decision, but it's it's one of the few climbing made on Friday night that I, I wouldn't have had a problem with as yeah. a Wildcat fan. I just – I don't like to chase points uh, too early, and that's what I thought he was doing. So, again, Toast of the Week brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. They have launched the Oktoberfest where it's October 8th, so go get you some Oktoberfest from Yingling. We appreciate them sponsoring our Toast of the Week. They've been a great partner, and – I had some yinglings the other night. I will have some again uh, for next week. What's what's OSU got next week? Who are they playing? I, I already I haven't moved on to next week yet. I'm still reveling in the win on on Friday. Let's see here. We welcomed they, our they, good uh, friends from Manhattan, and now we're going right. to welcome our good friends from Lawrence. 
Are they just uh, going to do the Kansas schools back to back every year? I guess. I guess that's a thing now. I don't know. I already like it more this year than I did in 22. 230 kick next week. Uh, I've got the. I've got my my big season ending golf tournament, so I won't even be able to watch it live. I'm gonna have to watch it that night or maybe even Sunday afternoon. So uh, apologies in advance for for a potentially late recap pod on that one. I'll be golfing all weekend, but I will find time to watch that game. Uh, Kansas, even without Jalen Daniels, looked really good against UCF. Uh, let me see if I have an early line on this game, Carson. What are your early thoughts for Kansas? Well, I just, it's so Kansas. They're going to, they're going to probably, I don't know if Daniels is going to be able to play against Oklahoma State, but wouldn't it be so appropriate that they've got Jason Bean thrown for 91 yards on eight completions with their running backs going bananas? And then OSU will probably have to face Daniels after, you know, most of the teams in the, in the conference or a few teams in the conference have had to face Bean. But Kansas is, I'm very, very impressed with Leopold. I think he is what he's Kansas used to be by far the worst power five football program in the country. Like not even a question. And now they're, they're, they're tough out for everybody. I thought they, they played against Texas pretty well before they pulled away late too. So I, I would think Kansas would be favored by three. You were very close. Uh, You were within the margin of error. We're going to give it to you. Kansas is an opening three and a half point road favorite against Oklahoma State. That sounds um, right. That feels about right. Kansas is a good football team, and, and Kansas is capable of putting up a bunch of points. Um, so if you're Vegas and you're setting the line here, again, we are now at uh, October 22nd of last year. So 351 days off the top of my head since Oklahoma State has gotten to 30. Kansas can score a bunch of points. I don't think Oklahoma State's winning in the 20s next week. I, I think you're either going to break your streak of not getting the 30 or you're going to lose that game. Yeah, for sure. They got to shore up the red zone offense because they they got their plenty against Kansas State. So uh, much more optimism abound, Colby. Uh, Oklahoma State gets a big win against Kansas State. Man, they that was a huge win for Mike Gundy. Uh, that He needed that one, and you could tell he coached like it. So this podcast hadn't been a whole lot of fun so far this year. That that was a lot of fun, and this was a good one, and uh, we'll, we'll get back with you uh, later this week. Yeah, and one last uh, shout-out to my, my Section 215 people. Jay said hi, introduced himself. Travis, Jeremy, it's funny. My wife gets a kick out of it. Uh, people will hear me talking in the section. I talk loud. My voice carries. People hear my voice, and then they'll, they'll, the listeners of the pod, they'll come up, introduce themselves. Uh, and I love talking to people whenever I'm out. I'm extroverted. My wife's super introverted, so she, she always thinks it's weird when I'm making conversation with strangers. But I love it uh, whenever people introduce themselves. And, Carson, we, we've got some reach on the pod because I – I truly cannot remember the last Oklahoma State game that I went to. And keep in mind, this is an audio medium only. This I can't remember the last time I went to a game where somebody didn't come up to me and introduce themselves and say that they love the pod. So uh, we appreciate everyone listening. Uh, that's always fun. If, if you see us out in public, come say hi. We'll talk a little, talk a little ball with you. So uh, appreciate everyone listening. We're back later in the week to preview Kansas. As always, go Pokes.